Hello, welcome to Upright Citizens. This is Bob Deboo here with the great Ruben Rogers. What's up, Ruben? How are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing all right, Bob. Doing all right here in sunny Santa Cruz. Here in sunny Santa Cruz. It's I was going to say, you look happy, you look healthy. You must be on the West Coast. Yeah. Hey, you know what? We're so you know blessed to be in the presence of greatness today. That's why I'm feeling you know, so enthused and happy. <laughs> same, same here. I can't believe our guest we have today. Yes. So um, we talk about body of work. We talk about this all the time here on Upright Citizens. And um, our guest, I think, is the quintessential definition of someone who has consistently kept the bar high hmm. in any and every situation, you know, he's in. Um, I feel like there's no, really no need to list all his accolades because he's a household name. Yeah. And but for the one or two who may not know, please visit his website and you'll find everything you need to know and then some. It's very, very well done. I told him this already. Um, we've mentioned name, his name countless times on here on Upright Citizens, and we're so happy to have him here on the show, finally. The great Dave Holland. Ooh, yes. Hey. <laughs> nice to be here with you. Thanks, guys. Yeah, yes. Thank you so much, man. Thank you so much for joining us. Mm -hmm. Yes, indeed. So uh, if I could really quick, I just wanted to share a couple personal stories uh, of, of being introduced to you uh, as a young bassist and how inspiring you were to me personally. Um, I, I recall one of my very first bass teachers putting on the One's All album, your solo bass album on ECM. Um, and it completely, I had just started playing bass maybe two years prior. And... Uh, to be able to hear the bass played uh, solo like that uh, and in such a musical and amazing way just blew my mind and it put my life on a completely different tra trajectory. Oh, I, I just wanted to share that it was really deeply inspiring to me. And not long after that, I saw I grew up in Texas here in the States and I, uh, I grew up in, in the Dallas Fort Worth area. And I saw that you were coming through with the, the quintet uh, in Albuquerque, New Mexico. So oh. me and a buddy of mine hopped in the car drove it drove all the way however however many hours that was to go see you with uh chris potter steve nelson billy kilson robin eubanks the the band and yeah. once again just a life-changing event for me personally so i just wanted to say thank you for that you're very welcome that's a nice story thanks for sharing it uh, well actually that band was life life-changing for me too <laughs> oh wow really Really? You know, it, it was just a, one of those moments where uh, all the chemistry kind of came together Mm. Uh, the time, the place, the people, the music, right? the music right. that I was hearing to play and writing and, and that other, the other members of the band were writing too. You know, we, we had different perspectives of the group, but uh, I think that lent to a much broader statement of what we could do with, with those people. And uh, yeah, it, it had a big impact on me creatively but also, uh, you know, the band was hitting so hard, you know, it reached mm -hmm. a lot of people. And mm -hmm. uh, I think it helped all of us get, uh, get our music out to more folks and, and mm -hmm. share it with people. So it, it was a special moment. And you know, I, I, we're still I, talking about a reunion at some point. And oh, really? Cool. Yeah, it, we, you know, we've talked over the years. I've been kind of working on other things the last few years, but... Mm -hmm. Uh, that that group's always going to be dear to me, and oh, I could imagine something special. Uh, you know. Now, did 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 all of you have um, 
a lot of musical history together, like each one of them, or what was it like, okay, maybe I played with him, we played together a little bit, or was it something that kind of just organically came together, uh, you know, in a short period of time from everyone knowing each other, either personally or musically? You know, it, it, it came together in different ways. Uh, I guess Robin Eubanks was the one that I knew the longest. Uh, okay. Robin was in the last edition of that first quintet I had okay. in the 80s. Mm. And he took over from Julian Priester, and we did one record with that group. Um, uh, it's called The Razor's Edge. Mm. And uh, so Robin, you know, was kind of a, a dear friend, still is, and uh, extraordinary trombonist. And I've always yes. loved the trombone, but particularly I love the way Robin has developed that instrument. I think he's an incredible innovator on it. Mm, and... Um, Billy Kilson had subbed a few times in a quartet that I had with Steve Nelson. Mm. Um, was, um, Eric Person was on alto saxophone okay. yeah. and uh, Steve on, on, on um, vibraphone. And Gene Jackson was playing drums with us. Ah, uh, Gene. Time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so Gene couldn't make a couple of gigs. And, and Billy came in and, and, and did some amazing work. Mm. And... Uh, when I wanted to put a new group together, I asked, asked Billy to be a part of it, and that was oh. a great move for me. Nelson, I met actually, you know, before Billy, and we met uh, in the studio. Tony Reedus, mm. uh, a great drummer who's in peace. Yeah, mm. peace, Tony, mm. uh, invited me to do a record with him, and mm. Steve was on Vibes. Mm. And I knew Steve's playing, you know, by having heard him, but we'd never played together. Right. And during the session, I went up to Steve and I said, Steve, man, I just love what you're doing. Wow. You know, would you be interested in doing something with me? He says, yeah, man, you know, has to be called, you know, it's like that. So, um, so again, I put, it, I put together that quartet with Eric and, and Gene. And then the final part of the puzzle with the first, uh, saxophone player we had in that quintet in the quintet we're talking about um, was Steve Wilson. Oh, and okay. Steve made the first album with us called Points of View. Mm. And then Steve had some other things he wanted to do and, and so I was uh, shortly after that record came out. So I was looking for another uh, musician to join the band and, and I had recorded with Chris on one of his early albums. Mm. I've been so impressed with his uh, composure. Yeah. And oh, yeah. Command of the instrument. And he was young. I mean, I think he was 24, 25. Yep. Yep. He had yep. Jackie Jeanette on drums and John Schofield on guitar and myself yep. on bass. And yes. he just seemed so, you know, kind of relaxed and, and, <laughs> and just you know, matter just, of fact, that, you know, he told me later that he wasn't quite that relaxed, but, <laughs> but I. I yeah, I personally asked him about that album too. He he said the same thing. He was like, "I was nervous." He, I mean, he was nervous. He was, you know, miss of all these <laughs> these great players, and like he was. But you, I agree too. He has such a a force and command. Like like he was like, "Ah, oh, I got this. Y'all follow me." But you know, yeah, he's like exactly. quite like that. <laughs> and, <laughs> so Robin and, and Chris had played in the Mingus Big Band together. Ah, there we go. And so when I, I was talking to Robin about the situation, you know, like, you know, we should, 
I'm looking for another saxophone player to join the band. And Robin said, yeah, you know Chris Potter? I said, yeah, he's a great player. He said, well, you know, Chris and I are good friends. We're playing the Mingus Man. Maybe, you know, give him a call. So there you go. That's wow. what I did. And that was uh, the rest is, I mean, as they say, history. As, as we've said here, you know, the, the connection between, you know, our musicians, how you just bob and weaves and we, we you know, it all, it's all full circle. You keep you keep your your people close or your relationships tight and it always leads to something else. You know, that's that's bigger than the music a lot of times, I feel, For sure. you know. So, human, you know, yeah. you, that's, you said it, the master said it right there, you know. <laughs> I believe too, we find each other, you know. I think we find each other, the like minds, you know. And Definitely. I, I Definitely. believe in that kind of thing. Uh, yes. You know, there's a, an attraction that happens and somehow mm -hmm. your paths cross and then, you know, take it from there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, wow. no doubt. Mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing all that. Uh, what a band of innovators, too, across yeah. the board. Wow. I, I am looking forward to that reunion. So moving on, your sound and your concept has so much elasticity in your mm -hmm. playing. And uh, do you approach each playing situation with the same vision and intent? Well, no, not, not really. I mean, um, I kind of let the music dictate, you know, mm -hmm. what it needs. Uh, Surely. In terms of my understanding anyway mm. um i'm always looking to find what i can do to enhance the situation you know mm. of course De depending on the requirements of the music you know okay. uh, the language that's being explored mm. um the the kind of interaction that's going on in the band how much room there is for interaction and dialogue Mm. You know, all these things are things that you kind of make a quick assessment of, I think. Mm. And, mm. Um, mm. You know, I've also I've enjoyed, you know, so many different kinds of music in my life. And, and from the early days, you know, playing bass guitar. And I've never lost an interest in trying new things and, and mm. uh, jumping into a new situation and mm. seeing what can be done with it, you know. So, yeah. Um, that's really my guide is to just kind of keep my ears open and draw on what I can from my experience to contribute something to those things. You know? Right, right. And, and that's funny. You, you just mentioned something which is part of, uh, you know, some of our bullet points. We have all these bullet points and little questions. That Very organized. Yeah. <laughs> and, and actually, one of them is about the electric bass. First of all, did, did you start on electric bass or was that like... A, a segue kind of uprights. I feel like different people have different, you know, come to the instrument to the upright bass in different ways. Did you start yeah. electric and, and, and go the opposite or was it the opposite way from upright to electric? No, it started, uh, well, you know, it started on ukulele, but that was a long oh, time ago. Yes. 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 <laughs> but, uh, the first time I started playing with other musicians, really in a band, mm. it was when I was 13 and I was still playing uh, electric guitar. Uh, oh, okay. no, I wouldn't say I was a, I wasn't a soloist. I was a rhythm guitar player. I was still yeah. learning my chords and, you know, mm. right. This was in 19, uh, what is it? 1957 or eight, something like that. Mm. Mm. And so, we, you know, we we're playing top 40 material. And oh. after a couple of rehearsals, we decided we wanted a bass player in the band. <laughs> and I've always enjoyed, I, my grandfather, when I was, just, we, I lived with my grandparents for the first mm. 10 years of my life uh, with my okay. mother and my uncle. And uh, my grandfather had a recording of In the Mood. It was a cover version of it done by a British band. 
-hmm. On the B side was a piece that featured the bass player. And my grandfather put this record on. It was, a, you know, one of the acetates, you know. He oh, put yeah. it on and said, David, I want you to listen to this. This is a bass, you know. Wow. Wow. And was this the upright bass? Yeah, upright, upright bass. There's okay. two breaks that, that were happening in it, you know. All right. Okay. That's my earliest recollection of the acoustic bass. Wow. From my grandfather. Okay. Anyway, I decided I would like to play bass guitar in the band. So I got myself a famous bass guitar and mm -hmm. my uncle painted it red so it looked like a fender you know so wow wow <laughs> what dedication i was like i was yeah i was on profile and so um <laughs> so i was in that band and i joined another band i left school when i was 16 and because i was working by then i was doing gigs you know several gigs a week we're playing dances and clubs and things like that and I guess when I was about 13 or 14, uh, uh, I started listening to jazz records. Uh, one of the guitarists in the band was a Django Reinhardt fan. Mm. fan. Mm. So I think that was one of the first jazz records I bought. Right. And then um, I was reading Downbeat and I saw uh, Ray Brown had won the poll on the bass. <laughs> and I was like, oh, Ray Brown, who's that? You know, yeah. <laughs> so I quickly found out who it was. You know, I went to the record store and I bought a couple of records with the Oscar Peterson trio, mm. Ray, Ray Brown and Ed Thigpen. Do you remember, do you remember the records? Night, Night Train, which Night Train. is all blues, man. That is yes. still one of my favorite albums. And Ray is just killing on it. So yeah. good. The whole band is. And then the other one was called Affinity. Ah. Which oh, is yeah. some incredible arrangements, really tight arrangements of balls, bangles, and beads, and oh, uh, 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 waltz for Debbie, and uh, all kinds of stuff. Mm. And I'd never heard that kind of interactive thing happen in the music mm. that those mm. guys had going on. Wow! And I think that's what I've always loved about the music is the group dynamic and the dialogue and the sharing of the music with other musicians. And when I heard the way those maestros were playing with each other, you know, I said, that's it. I want to do that. And so within a few weeks, I'd gone to the music store and taken some of the money I'd earned from the gigs and bought a nice shiny plywood base. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and that was it. it was 45 pounds and I got it on payments, you know. Wow. <laughs> Get it, man. Beautiful. What, yeah. what, was, what was the down payment? What was the down payment? Uh, five pounds. Five, five pounds. pounds. Hello. Yeah. Hello. Nice. That was great. <laughs> so I bought a set of Lycon strings, which was the strings that Ray was endorsing, and they were metal okay. strings. Oh, wow. Okay. It was a big deal back then. This yes. was in, you know, 59, 60. Mm. And uh, I was still playing in the band with bass guitar, but I started practicing with the records. And go. at the same time, I had bought two records of Leroy Vinegar. Mm. One was called Leroy Walks, and the other one's yeah. called Leroy Walks Again. Yes. You know? And those four records, you know, that was like my introduction to what the bass is about your bible yeah you know your audio the, the sound uh, uh, i mean everything I st I, i'm getting goosebumps still thinking about it. i like it i love yes. that I that's love beautiful that. I love um that. so you know i just kept practicing with his records and i bought more records i saw 
picture of Mingus, you know, with a bass. I thought, oh, Mink, Charles Mingus, let me check him out. You know, so oh, I bought Mingus, 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 Mingus. There you go. Beautiful. And then I bought Black Saint and the Sinner Lady. Oh, my God. Wow. That wow. that blew my mind. I mean, yeah. the, you know, talk that, you know, the, um, the Oscar Peterson trio was, the, you know, very polished and nice, neat arrangements yeah. and everything. Mingus, boy, that was raw. I mean, yeah. Just, just in your face, oh smack you. Yeah. I mean, I mean, what, what's what's so great about hearing you say these things? All this music we've, at one time or the other, have mentioned on this same program, mm. and that's the testament to how timeless that that music is. Absolutely, you know? yeah. how timeless that we're still in the twenty uh, twenty twenty two. You yeah. know, what's that? You know, fifty. You know, fifty years later. You know, more that. That's it's giving you goosebumps. It's giving us goosebumps to just put on really? that night train, to put on that Megas, Megas, Megas. It's, it's, you know, and I, I think, I think we all try to, you know, get to that point hopefully in life that we make timeless music. You know, try and try and try again until hopefully someone's saying that about, you know, some of the music that we all are doing, right? Yeah, you know? yeah, absolutely. Well, that, you know, they set the standard, those guys. You know, for no doubt, for tone and sound and feel and and. All of it, you know. Right. Ray's Ray's command of the instrument, you know, was extraordinary. Yes, he he played it from one end to the other, and yeah. his solo work was so mm -hmm. so beautiful. And the way he phrased, and mm -hmm. you know, I tried to simulate those things a little bit. I, you know, mm -hmm. learned what I could. I mean, I wanted to just play like that. I finally yeah. gave up. Yes. You all have to give up on that <laughs> and find our own voice. You know. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Well, let, let's let uh, if we could go down that that you know uh, is Please. just uh, kind of like Bob. I can give you my first time seeing you uh, live. At least was actually you doing a clinic at NEC. I was living in Boston, and you were doing a clinic um, at NEC, as I said. But you actually talked some, but you played a lot, which I feel mm. doesn't quite happen all the time these days, you know, when, when we're, you know, in a, uh, in a mass class, you know, situation, whatever, and you played, you know, solo, I don't think you even had other musicians there actually now, I remember, it was solo bass, you pretty much just said, okay, thank you, here's a question, oh, thank you, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna show you why I'm here, thank you, why I'm Dave Holland, and you, you went on, and I was like, what, 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 um, <laughs> also, during that time, I had a friend of mine who had a bootleg, of you play, doing a solo cello concert, mm. or uh, maybe maybe it was both. Maybe you did both. But my main thing, my recollection of it was like, what? What? He plays cello? Too? Oh my gosh! Anyway, <laughs> so along the line of the whole the, the lineage of of like a Ray Brown, of Oscar Pettiford, whatever, um, is cello still in your life? I mean, what what uh, you know what inspired you to do that? Maybe we already know. You said it, kind of to 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 explore the cello and. And what is it like these days to even, do you want to do it? Do you love it? Do you miss it? You know, um, is it too hard or what? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I started playing the cello, I think around 1970. Um, it belonged to Carl Berger, the vibraphone player. And his brother, I think, or maybe his wife's brother owned it. And they had they were living in New Jersey. I went over there for dinner one night and Carl said to me, Oh, you know, I got a cello here, you know. I said, Oh, let me see it. 
And <laughs> so I, I started checking it out. I tuned it up, played a little bit. He said, and he said to me, you want to buy it? And I said, well, yeah, I, I, I can, how much, you know, and it, he gave me a price that was affordable. And I was, okay, thank you. So wow. I took it home and, you know, it was, it was tuned in fifths, like the cello is tuned, and I decided to leave it that way. Oh, you did? I wanted yeah. the sound of the instrument to be cello-like. Uh, you know, wow. as soon as you start changing the tuning of the cello, it changes character a little bit, but also... I was fascinated by the fifth tuning yeah. and, and what it would present uh, in the way of, you know, a new relationship to the instrument through that tuning, you know. Um, so I started practicing the Bach cello suites uh, mm. because I would played them a little bit on the bass mm. to the best of my ability. <laughs> and um, and the, I always wanted to play them on the cello. So I, I got a set of, uh, of the suites and started practicing. I have to say that that taught me so much about the instrument and what it could do. And, you know, Bach's writing for solo instruments is extraordinary because it outlines everything, the harmony, the rhythm, the melody, all at once on one instrument, right. even monophonic instruments. You know, so you hear a flute sonata, a solo flute sonata by Bach, you hear everything. You hear the chords and everything, you know. Yes, yes. So it taught me a lot about the instrument. And around that time, of course, I started uh, a relationship with uh, the group Circle that mm -hmm. was with Anthony Braxton, a saxophone player, uh, Barry Alshon on drums, and Chick Corea. And Chick and, Chick and I were still with Miles at that time. Mm -hmm. But we decided to leave the band and start working with that group or at least we hope to be working yeah. <laughs> it didn't quite work out that way <laughs> you know, we went from playing to like i don't know half a million people of the isle of Wight to three people you know <laughs> at slugs at three in the morning you know yeah wow but, man that you know commitment that's commitment you know that was, that's commitment yeah we, <laughs> we 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 knew what we wanted to do and that was there you go so i started playing the cello with the group and then shortly after that, uh, well, the, the, the circle stayed together for about a year and a half, and then uh, Chick left the group to do something else, and we, I came back to New York, and I started playing with Sam Rivers, and Barry was uh, Barry took me over to Sam's loft because uh, he'd been getting together and playing duos with Sam, duets with Sam at the loft, just uh, in the afternoon, not to an audience, just to to work out. And, Mm -hmm. So he, he, he took me over there one day and we started playing. I think we played nonstop for about three hours. Wow. <laughs> yes. Wow. You know, Sam was just incredible. I, I, I was, I just felt like anything was possible with Sam, you know. But that's, so, that's, uh, that's I great. Yeah, go please, Ruben. Interrupt uh, anything. I mean, that's great. So, how, like, we don't even need to actually look at our bullet points because you basically touch on certain things that we want to talk about already, and you just lead right into it. <laughs> so, okay. um, so my my, if we could stay there for a hot second, I also read that you know you you took that time, I guess, around the same time you're talking about, to actually say, you know what, I like this gentleman right here, Sam Rivers, so much that I'm going to just focus on playing with him for a period of time. Is this yeah. around the same time? Or? No, that, that happened, I would say, 
around 76 because okay. we, we started gigging with Sam and I was playing with, uh, I did the Conference of the Birds album around that time. Anthony had been living in Paris. He, he'd gone to Paris after the circle. For circle. those who don't know, that's your first album, right? Is that your first album? Yeah, that was the first album. Your first, first... I, I decided to put together, you know, the, the three of us from Circle, Barry and Anthony and myself, and I asked Sam to, to take a part, part of it. And these were the people I really wanted to play with. So it, it was perfect. Um, so from around, I also was working with Stan Getz at that time too. Mm -hmm. I worked with Stan for about a year and a half. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and, uh, but then I left Sam's, Stan's group and I was working with Sam with, with, Anthony Braxton's quartet, he signed with Arista Records and was starting to work with his own group a lot more. And then with the Gateway Trio was the other band that I worked quite a bit with, with Jack and John Abercrombie. So mm -hmm. yeah. those were my, I would say, my three main projects. Uh, but by 76, uh, I decided I only wanted to work with them. And so I, I basically turned down other work just to do that and that That's, continued pretty much until i did a few other things but that pretty much continued until 82 when i started my own first i mean i think that's i mean because i i think about that you know here you are seemingly in in the the prime of your career as as your young career like you're the you're the guy about 10 years in you know you know and you decide you know what my folks i guess it's the same thing you did when you left Miles Band, you're like, this is the direction I want to go. Time to so, move on. You know, I have all these other, I have this great opportunities here and there, but this is my focus. I'm going to do this. I That takes such, you know, I don't know. I don't even know how to, give me some words, Bob, because. Well, uh, it's, you know, I said something, I think, earlier on in our chat, you know, which was that I'd let the music dictate. Hmm. And I, I think that applies to my own activities, too. You know, I kind of yeah. go with my heart. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, it hasn't always been a financially good decision. <laughs> right, 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 right. But I've been very happy. And, uh, you know, luckily my late wife, Claire, was totally um, supportive of this whole thing. By the way, there's been a Jazz Times piece on Sam, which just came out, where they mistakenly quoted uh, Marty Kahn as saying that my wife resented the fact I was only working with Sam. Nothing could be further from the truth. Wow. Wow. She was the biggest fan of Sam. She loved Sam. She loved B Rivers. Yeah. We used to hang out at Studio Rigby. In fact, we moved back into New York from 75 to 78 when our children were quite small still. Mm. And she was a, she was a little... Uh, reticent about moving back into new york at that time new york was in trouble mm. in the 70s you know it was going bankrupt mm. and the garbage wasn't being picked up schools were not working right and all kinds yeah. of problems and um but she was like let's do it you know she's 100 percent. You know, oh that's beautiful, beautiful. yeah that's so anyway so that was you know that was the we were partners in that you know we 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 were on a mission I would go. say, you know, not to mm -hmm. make it too dramatic, but, yeah. um, you know, we knew what we wanted to do and what I was trying to achieve. And, 
what I needed to do to get there. Um, you know, leaving Sam and putting a band together, that was the same reason. Believe me, I was not, uh, <laughs> I was not really confident about doing that at that time. You know, it was like, yeah. you know, stepping out like that and taking responsibility. And I'd worked with Betty Carter, oh, beautiful yeah. Betty, yeah. um, for about, yeah, probably a year and a half or so in the mid seventies, uh, there was a period where Sam was doing some other things. And so I, uh, Betty called me and asked me to, um, to work with her. And, and of course I was tremendously honored to do that and inspired to, to, to be working with her. Such a great artist, so creative. And she knew so much about presenting the music as well and, mm -hmm. and how to, how to, Put a set together, how to rehearse a band. I mean, everything. It was the school of Betty Carter, right? Yep, 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 yep. I was, I was part of her Jazz Ahead program, her very first Jazz Ahead program when ah. I first got to the, to the stage. So that school you're talking about, it's different than the school of being on the band, bandstand. Um, I never got to play in her band mm. because it was weird. I did, I started doing other things and she used to see me on the road. She says, and she would be like, oh, you don't need me anymore, I guess. I'd be like, no, I do need you. Please hire me. Hire me today. You know, but she's like, no, no, you, you know, you, you're, on, you're on your way. So you don't need me anymore. Yeah. It was it was a well, playful thing, you know. <laughs> yeah, she was great. She was great. Yeah, she was you know? she was always so supportive. And, you know, she was a tough task, master, mistress, but mm -hmm. she was doing it out of love. You know, for the music and for the musicians. And if you stepped back and le left your ego at the door and just like kind of went, you know, with the program, you learned so much from her. So when I put the band together, I would go and visit Betty from time to time. And I, I was sharing my doubts and uh, fears about it, you know, and I said, yeah, you know, it's just, I, I just like cooperative bands, you know, and I, I, you know, it's, I, I don't know, I just don't want to tell everybody what to do and all that, you know. She yeah. said, Dave, your name's going to be outside on the marquee, so you'd better step up and take responsibility. Wow, you know? oh, yes. You know, and it made me realize, yeah, well, okay, that's, that's, that's the thing I got to learn how to do. And still be able to give everybody room in the band to fully realize their creative there you go. vision. Right. And I, I started thinking about how Miles would conduct the band, mm. how he would run the band, and that became a model in some ways for how to do that. You know, he would create a situation, but he wouldn't tell you a whole lot about what to do in it. Mm. Mm -hmm. And he'd leave that up to you. I remember the story when Train first joined his band. He kept he kept going up to Mars and saying, "Mars, is it okay? Is everything all right?" And Mars would just turn his back on him and walk away. <laughs> and, and, and this is the story I heard anyway. I think it was true. And and so Train, after several attempts, you know, said, "Mars, look, is this, is there something I, I should be doing?" Mars said, "Man." Eh, that's what you're supposed to be figuring out to what to do. Don't ask me. Mm -hmm. wow. There you go. Yeah. And I thought, well, that's that encapsulates that whole thing, you know, where he he would pick musicians that he felt had potential to contribute to the music and take it to where he wanted it to go. 
but he would let you find your own way of getting there. Yeah, you know? no doubt. Wow. So you invested yourself in it, you know, and so that that was an inspiration. And it took me a while to learn how to do that. And uh, <laughs> well, I, there there were times when. I realized I need to, to be a little firmer about what was going on. And, <laughs> so, uh, there you go. That, yeah, that was a big lesson. I won't go any further with that. But. <laughs> Stop it there. Stop it there. Stop yeah. it there. <laughs> That's all right. Yeah. You know, you spoke earlier about your influences of uh, Oscar Pettiford, Leroy Vinegar, Charles Mingus, especially. Uh, did they directly inspire you to become a band leader or was it something else? Yeah, I mean, of course, that was all inspiration. You know, to me, there's some inherent problems with leading from the base mm. in a group. Um, mm. For one thing is that you are very dependent on having the right people in the band. If you're a horn player <laughs> and you're doing a single, you know, you can sometimes have a rhythm section that's maybe not the greatest rhythm section, but you mm. can still get your thing happening. You know? right, 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 right. But if you're a bass player and the horn players aren't taking care of business, forget it. Lot on your shoulders. Lot on your shoulders, <laughs> you know. And, you, you know, you look at Mingus's band, you know, he had such great players in there and people knew what to do. Um, I didn't want to pursue uh, Mingus's style of band leading particularly, uh, you know. Yeah, right, right, right. But it had its moments. But um, he wrote some music which really pointed the direction mm. of where he wanted to see the music go, but relied on the musicians in the band to really uh, interpret it. Jackie Bayer and Eric, uh, oh, yeah. Eric Dolphy, you know, these great players that he had um, with, with the group, Danny Richmond. Danny Richmond. So, so, um, so that, that's the other thing. And of course, uh, finding the right players means people that can take responsibility, can understand what you're what's trying to happen with the music you know i also really wanted people who could write as well because i wanted that influence in the band as well i wanted some other perspectives mm -hmm. on the composition side of things you know? are there any specific composers that influenced you uh, do you have a, a, a composing regimen anything like that do you need to be in a specific place do you write from the bass do you write from the piano on and on and on. Do you write for specific musicians? Uh, yes, Sorry, that's a, a load of questions, but <laughs> yeah, pretty much yes to all of that. Okay. Um, well, influences first of all. I, I think a very important influence from very early on was Kenny Wheeler, um, oh. because Kenny, uh, in the mid '60s, was putting together compositions which were really dealing with a new. Um, set of ideas for what chord sequences could do, how they would move to, from one chord to another and the continuity right. of it. Hmm. And I spent a lot of time playing Kenny's music over the years and it was very informative in terms of, of showing me an, a different way to think about uh, resolution and modulation hmm. and hmm. And writing songs that didn't have key signatures, that were just yeah. a set of chords that were moving wow. through space, uh, modulating, resolving in different ways, mm -hmm. and finding different resolutions that weren't just two five ones, you know, resolutions that would seem 
on paper kind of strange, but when you heard them, you're like, oh, that flows nicely. That really yeah, there you go. There you go. So that was an early one. And of course, living in England, I was listening a lot to Miles and Wayne Shorter and McCoy Tyner's, all the Blue Note records. I'd buy them as they came out. And, yeah. and Wayne's music was, you know, incredibly uh, uh, individual. And he had his own way of connecting the melody with the chords and all these things. So I spent a lot of time, you know, studying and playing that music. And what I did at the beginning was just to try to simulate the things that I liked in other people's writing. You know, I tried to write a Coltrane type song okay. that, that had a, yeah. a, a rubato melody that would go into some sort of freer playing and stuff. And, and then another song that was kind of based on some movements that I'd heard in Wayne's music or Kenny's music. So I started using um, some, examples as models for what I was writing. And then, mm -hmm. you know, that started to uh, lead me on to one thing, to another, to another. Um, yeah, so the, uh, and then, you know, there was also, I was going to conservatory for three years in London. So okay. I was also exposed to contemporary classical music and I particularly like the period, you know, at the beginning of the 20th century where the music was transitioning from uh, tonal-centered music to chromatic music, but still kept a foot in the tonal world. You know, I'd, I'd say writers like Bartok and Vaughan Williams and mm. uh, Stravinsky. Uh, so you were know. you studying composition at, at the conservatory? No, no, I was on a performance course. I was just... okay. You know, I was playing in the orchestra, both I was uh, playing in the orchestra and taking musicianship classes, uh, some piano classes, which okay. I always wished I'd been more diligent about. Well, but, you know, tell me about it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, it was mostly a performance course, but it studied the history of music. And the history of music, the teacher I had was a bit of an eccentric, and he started with the most recent music <laughs> and worked backwards. Wow. Nice. Okay. So the first, cla first class we had, we were listening to Schoenberg, mm. uh, Bartok, and Stravinsky. I had never heard any of those people before. And so I was, my mind was blown. I went out and yeah. bought a copy of the string quartets, Bartok's six string quartets. I bought a record, started going through the scores, trying to figure out, you know, things, how he, how he used, you know, the vertical and, and, horizontal relationships in the music and, and stuff, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm, I want to just say, I've got so much more to learn too. I, 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 right. I don't want to say that I was reaching for that. I was just trying to learn the language that they were, that they were involved with mm -hmm. uh, symmetric scales and all these things. I don't want to get too technical here, but right. you sure. know, there was a lot of things that it introduced me to. And then Slonimska's, patterns and scales that Coltrane was working from. Yeah. These were all things that, you know, I'd read the backs of vinyl albums and see what people were talking about and then, right. you know, buy the music they were talking about so yeah. I could, you know, Evans was talking about the Impressionists, you know, okay. Yeah. Um, Ravel mm. and Debussy and, and uh, Foray and, you know. So when you say they, it was from that time back, what, do you remember where you were, where, how far back? You they you know in your time that he he uh 
the, the class, the conversation the class went to? Do you remember at all? Uh, well, I and I was a three-year course, you know. Okay. Yeah, we worked we worked back into uh, you know Purcell and you know things like that. Uh, okay. You know, and uh, but then of course we were playing that music at school as well. We were playing okay. the repertoire. Okay. All the classic repertoire. We, I signed up to do some special uh, workshops. Like I signed up for a summer workshop where they took all the lead players out of the orchestras, student orchestras in London, and um, uh, put together a, a, an orchestra, a full-size orchestra that performed all the Bartok orchestral music. Wow. And wow. we spent like three weeks, and I, my mind was blown. This was in 1966, and I went through a crisis that summer after this workshop because I said anything I do isn't going to be <laughs> anywhere near what the greatness of this music I've just finished playing is. Wow. I just wow. didn't, you know. So I, I called up a couple of close friends to talk it over because I was in my second year of conservatory and I just started working at the Ronnie Scott Club mm -hmm. um, and it was a crossroads moment you know I was like which way am I going here I was I'd always thought about being a studio musician okay. that was the thing I was gonna that's why I went to conservatory was to learn about classical music playing orchestra and like that and I you know I played bass guitar and I was doing jazz gigs and i thought well i want to be able to you know somebody calls me up for a session i want to be the you know the man to nail it i mean yeah. i do it you know get the job so but as i played more and more jazz gigs you know that just kind of took over and i felt like i was investing much more of my self and my feelings in that music i mean i would say uh, that that's the same for me what you just said i maybe maybe that's the uh uh, special position we're put in as bass players, at least you know, bass players who could who have some kind of versatility. You 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 going all these directions, and somehow something kind of pulls you in. It's like, well, come here. You yeah. can continue to do all that, but this is probably where you want to be. You know? Yeah. Uh, would you say the same thing, Bob, at all, or? Oh, for sure. Yeah, there was a bunch of different directions that I thought I was heading for. You know what I mean? And you yeah. stay open and uh, see what 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 ends up, and uh, you never know where you're going to be. So, but I, you know, I was reading about your the the days at Ronnie Scott's and the story you just mentioned about the Bar Talk special project. But your early days with Ronnie at Ronnie Scott's, you were playing with folks like Ben Webster, legendary, like Coleman Hawkins, folks like that, right? So it must have just been a a completely um, electric environment. I, I can't imagine what life must have been like at that point. Yeah. Life was good. What can I tell you? It's <laughs> beautiful. I mean, yeah. let me just give you, I'll give you a quick picture. You know, there, there was two Ronnie Scott clubs at that time. Okay. There was the old place, which was where he had his club originally in the fifties until 1964 or five. Wow. And then he moved locations to the current location on Frith Street. The old club had some time left on its lease. And Ronnie, being Ronnie, decided to invite the young musicians in London hmm. to use that club as their venue. Wow. And we yep. had it to rehearse wow. in anytime we wanted. 
we'd do gigs seven nights a week. We had matinees sometimes on Sunday. That's amazing. We'd close the club up at two o'clock in the morning, shut the doors and have jam sessions until the sun came up. Yes. Wow. Uh, you know, people would come in. I, I met Jack there, Jack DeJanet, for the first time. He had heard wow. that there was a late night jam session going on there. He was wow. in town with Charles Lloyd. Mm. And I'm on stage. You know, I, I used to play with my eyes closed in those days. I had my eyes closed playing. And there's another drummer, Alan Jackson, his name was, for playing drums. And suddenly I heard something change on the drums. And I opened my eyes and Jack was sitting there. <laughs> in it. Wow. wow. I was like, oh boy. And right from the beginning, it just felt perfect. It just Hello. felt so right, you know. And um, first downbeat, you know? <laughs> first downbeat, I tell you. And we, you know, that was the beginning of it, really. Right. So that was a very important place for us all. We had we had a chance to really develop groups and mature ourselves in the, in a very intense playing situation. The South African band, Chris McGregor. Uh, uh, came to London in the mid-60s with Dudu Pakwana, Mongezi Faiza, um, um, Johnny Diani, uh, Louis Moholo, and Ronnie Beer. They were a mixed-race band. They uh, there were two white guys and four black guys in South Africa. You can imagine the trouble they had in South Africa. Yeah. <laughs> they, came to Europe. they came to Europe and settled in London. And... Mm. They injected some energy like you wouldn't believe into the scene. It was wonderful, and I got so, to play with Chris a lot and with the, with Dudu and all the guys. So wait, so wow. Jack ended up living in London at that time, or well, Jack was just uh, Jack was just there playing with Charles. He he met a lady who ended up being his wife, Lydia. Okay, uh, so he was around. He was around so he a ended, lot. He ended up sp spending a lot of time in London. That's there you go. <laughs> so she went go. to New York to, to, and they got That's married. That's always the case. Uh, uh, wow, this I love this this trivia that you just said. That's it's so wonderful. So I'm going to actually, you know, bear the question, uh, the conversation. It's all inclusive. What am I saying? But I want to say, what are two things you think that may not be bass related that has contributed? To your longevity in this music is there is there two things you can say off the top of your head well i think the first thing i think about is my love of music you know um you know i started playing ukulele when i was five and music has been my companion ever since mm. and i can't imagine well i can imagine life without it i guess as i get older mm. but because you think about these things but um as long as I'm able to play, that's what I'm going to be doing, you know. Hello. So yeah. that's the first thing. And my curiosity, I think, is the other thing. Wow. You know, I'm so interested in music. And if I hear something I haven't heard before that catches my attention, I want to know what it is and I want to there find you know. out. You what's still have that hunger. Me. You still have that drive, that hunger. And, I mean, obviously, I still go back to what you were talking about about 20 minutes ago your work ethic seems to be high still. Mm -hmm. And it's always been just the, the fact that you were like, you know what, I'm not going to take the easier route and detune this cello to fourths because it'd be much easier because this is what I know you chose to say, you know what, I'm going to live in this because I want this sound. That takes another level of, of, of uh, time, of, of, of passion, of, <laughs> of, of focus to do something mm -hmm. like that. And the same thing you talked about composition and I'm, I'm figuring that you do, you continue to do just, as you said, the same thing to this day, you know, 
Uh, well, you know, I'm sure I speak for all of us, you know, Ruben, uh, music's had a tremendous impact on my life, you know. Mm. Um, the person I am today, you know, would not be the person I am had not music happened to me. Yeah. Yes. Uh, you know, I'd probably be a fat beer drinking, Englishman, you know, <laughs> you know, football matches. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. No, no. You know, the music opened up a new world of feelings, a new way, world of thought. It led me to examine not just musical things, but other things that fed the music mm. and that fed my own personal um, education as a, as a human being, you know, and uh, yeah. I mean, not to make too much of it, but, you know, I think one of the keys to staying engaged is keeping that curiosity and, and, you know, I've, I've, and wanting to know about things. I mean, all kinds of things. Yeah. I, I was just watching a Netflix documentary about the brain last night. Mm. Man, I was like totally fascinated, and it was talking about the different centers and wow. what engages in what. And I was like, "Oh my god, this is incredible!" Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I've, I've gone down. down I've here. gone down that Netflix rabbit hole. Oh yeah, times too. Yeah, <laughs> there's so much out there in the world. It's a huge world. Yes, you know. And then, and then I got really interested in you know a lot of different historical things over the years too. Read, you know, so. I think the stimulation I get from music has has, has um, gone over into other aspects of my life yeah. and influenced it. The curiosity, so, right, right. This this makes me think of another um, uh, portion of an interview that was beautiful, by the way. The lifelong learning that keeps us all fresh and engaged, and um, I can totally relate to that because I never want to stop growing and learning. And it's the curiosity mm. is inherent, and I think most musicians are inherently that way mm. you have to be searching um but i, I recall um maybe about 10 years ago i had started studying uh tai chi and i was looking through some interviews and things like that and i i i saw an interview and i don't remember where this is i couldn't find it again but i i saw an interview where you would spoke on tai chi and focusing the chi in your fingers where you were studying at the time and focusing your energy in your hands and bringing that to the instrument and how that had affected you at the, at the time. Um, and so I was curious to ask you uh, if that's still something that you're engaged in or if that's a, a part of your, it's obviously another part of your searching in your humanity. Do you know what I mean? And bringing other aspects of your life into your music. But I was curious if that's still something that's part of your life. Uh, I, I'm not a practicer of Tai Chi at this point. No, I, I was living in New York and I was fascinated by, you know, the idea of key energy and it actually wasn't so much to do with my hands. Uh, okay. um, but, you know, it was about the idea of engaging your total body energy into mm. a focus. Right. And, you know, they, in Tai Chi, as you know, they've, talk about the energy being in the solar plexus. That's the center right. of power. And so it made me think a lot about posture and mm. how to not just think about playing the bass with my hands. In fact, quite the opposite, thinking about total engagement yes. of, of the body. Uh, not so much, you know, throwing yourself around when you play, but like just directing the energy into mm. the instrument. And I found that it was a way to help me relax more when I played as well. 
because yeah. I wasn't trying to use force to get ideas out, any uh, you know, or or minimal of force. I was learning how to uh, direct the energy with less stress and less tension, mm. and I think that helped me a lot. You know, wow. yeah, and I think you know, just to kind of connect up with what we were just saying, you know, the um, the thing about music was it's 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 being transformative. You know, it introduced me to things in my own personality that I needed to work on. You know, early on, I was quite shy. And so I had to learn how to be able to come out. You know, I remember the first time I tried to do some teaching in front of a class, you know, I was out, my heart was going like crazy. You know? <laughs> um, so, you know, these kind of challenges that you face as a musician, and the realization that there's work you have to do on yourself, mm. as well as work on the instrument in order to become who you can become yes. or try to anyway. I mean, I've got a long way to go myself still. But you know that if, you're, if you have selfish aspects to your personality, that sometimes comes out in the music. Hello. Mm. You know, and so if you want to try and get to the real core of the matter, you've got to clear through a lot of mess, you know, a mm. lot of junk that you're probably carrying around with you. Mm. And I still got a lot to clear out. But, yeah, Dick, we all you do. know, the thing yeah. is that I think music has helped me a great deal in looking in the mirror and figuring out what it is I need to do next to try and sort myself out. Mm. And yeah. to help me be a better musician, but in, in doing that, trying to find a way to be a better person in some way. You know? I, I, think the, that, I think that those... That one minute you said, you know, can be recorded and looped in someone's, you know, you know, phone and said over and over, just put, you know, just remind us of, the, of what you just said, you know, bringing some mm. humanity, bringing some empathy, honesty, you know, some honesty, all of it, you know, to yeah. our daily lives, to our music. I mean, all of it, you know. Because we're uh, telling a story when we play, Ruben, right? Well, you know, we're playing, we're telling a story and that story is coming from our feelings and our experience. Hmm. And you, you want that story to represent something meaningful to you. And in order to do that, you have to reach down hmm. into that part of yourself that is kind of um, part of the universe. Hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right, right, right. I don't, know, I don't know why I said that, but that's just what occurred to me. I like it. I like it. You know, <laughs> um, we're gonna we're gonna wrap this up. You've been so gracious with your time. You're very Dave, I really appreciate yeah, this. I really appreciate this. We've seen each other on the road here and there, and it's never a time that we were able to actually have this kind of time, this one on one, get to know each other. And you know, I look forward to to more times. Um, but with the last question we have for you, uh, and we like to say this with anyone. What is something our listeners may be surprised to know about you? Is there something that some nugget, you know? Oh, yeah, that, yeah, here we go. That <laughs> oh, here we go. Very surprised to know about you. I mean, that you want people to know, of course, but. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> surprised that, that they want me to know. Um, I mean, we. I, I'll give you an example. I'm kind of. I'm a little bit predictable, honestly. You know. I mean. Oh yeah. You know, I. I. I'm fairly, in some ways, quite, you know, organized with my stuff in terms of, um, 
you know, I have a program that I'm kind of working on. You know, I get up in the morning, do a little exercise, you know, have breakfast. You know, I've got some scales and stuff I do on the base every day, you know, things like right. that. Uh, so those kind of things, I find structure hmm. helps me uh, with trying to get the things done I want to do. Hmm. Um, so I think the only thing is that I need to find a way not to be locked into it too much. Sometimes I feel like I should uh, keep more open-minded a little bit about what the right. possibilities are for myself. You mean, you mean, let go a little bit of the structure that you, you know, exactly. have had in your life. Yeah. I feel you. That's for you. Exactly. It's funny. I, I think I felt, I felt the same way about not to bring it back to me. How did you do that Ruben? But uh, <laughs> to bring it to, to, I felt the same way, but, Almost these days, I feel like I've gone too far the other way now. <laughs> oh yeah, like, oh, I, yeah really I, back in. <laughs> I need to really back in now. It's time. It's time. <laughs> you know. Well, you know, sometimes you got to test the, the parameters. You got to test the boundaries. You know. For sure. And, and uh, you know, I think I've come a long way from where I started, but I got more to do. So we'll see. Yeah. Where so, we go. Wow. Amen. Amen. Uh, well, any last words, Bob? Any last words? Oh, beautiful. I, I, I've just enjoyed this conversation so, so much. And I want to give you my heartfelt thanks for, for joining us and sharing so openly. openly. And uh, a huge thank you for all your music as wow. well. The, your legacy is just uh, incredible and it's inspired so many people. And I'm happy to be part of that as well. So thank wow. you very much. That's beautiful. Thank you so much. And thank you for creating this window to the world. You know, it's yeah. It's great that we're able to communicate like this now and reach out to mm -hmm. folks and share our feelings. So uh, I commend you on, on the work Thank you're doing you. on this. And I'm going to be uh, um, signing up for the website. <laughs> oh, let's say thank you to Open Studio for yeah, creating, being, a, being a, having the platform for us to share and vomit bass and music <laughs> like we are doing right now. Yeah. And uh, we'll continue doing it. And uh, thank you again, Dave, uh, for your time. And your humanity, your amazing bass playing, and your long, long career that we're able to, uh, you know, just build from and learn from. Everyone go to DaveHolland.com. You know, mm -hmm. he's there. You know, you'll see his incredible discography and his body of work that we talked about in the beginning of the show. And uh, make sure you go see him and his groups, his many groups that are, are out now. We, I guess the current trio you wait with with Obed and, and Kevin, at least that's what I saw recently on your website. Um, uh, and and the other groups that you, other things you're doing, uh, Schofield and you are doing duos and yeah, uh, the next the, we're doing a tour with Aziza too in November, which I'm looking okay for. with Eric and uh, okay oh, beautiful Lionel Dweke and Eric Person and uh, Eric Eric Holland, I'm sorry yeah, uh, and, yeah and Chris Potter, so looking forward to that. That's wow. a fun band. Listen, yeah. thank you both so much. I really appreciate it, and let's yes. do it again sometime. Okay. Beautiful. But I'm gonna hold you on. I'm gonna hold you to that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Dave. Yes, yes, indeed. Right. Cheers. Right. Take care, guys. Take care. Right now. Bye. 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 Bye.